Our text for today comes out of the book of Haggai, chapter 2. Uh, we looked at chapter 2, part of chapter 2 last week. There's a different part of chapter 2, a different prophecy out of the book of Haggai, uh, being made holy. Uh, Haggai prophesied uh, sometime after we came out of Babylon. Cyrus let us come out of Babylon and gave us permission to start rebuilding the temple. And we started doing that for a while. And then uh, some opposition came and, and the building began to stop. We stopped building under a decree from the Persian king after Cyrus. And, uh, and then we come around to now this time of King Darius of Persia. And we have given permission to build again. And Haggai as well as Zechariah begin prophesying under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Yeshua, son of Yuzadak and uh, Jehozadak. And so that's where our, our story continues and picks up uh, here tonight. Now anyone remember the, uh, the, the account of the first part of chapter 2 last week? Anyone remember what the sermon was last week? Very good, very good. All right, because I couldn't remember. Well, that's, that's helpful. <laughs> I was working on this. I was saying, what was that? And I couldn't remember for the life of me. And um, so I had to cheat and look. But that's good, very good. I'm surprised. Somebody remembered. All right, because one point I wanted to get with that was, as I was thinking about that, it's really not so important about memorizing or remembering last week's sermon or even this week's sermon, you know, even afterwards, uh, an hour afterwards. Or you're, The test is not going to be on the going to heaven. It's not going to be how many sermons you me memorize or how much Bible text you memorize. That's not what it's about. But, but it's the decisions you, we make as we're hearing the Word of God, whether it's during a sermon or reading the Bible, uh, in our personal times, it's the impact that God's word has upon our minds and heart. And so as we're reading God's word or listening to God's word, we need to be making decisions right then and there. And, and prayers to God, God, yes, do that in my life or help me here or apply that to me. And, and God hears that. And even if we forget a couple hours later, that decision, that prayer, that Bible text, God doesn't forget. And he will continue to do his work in that area when it was brought to our attention that we gave him permission to work in. And that's the important part. Okay, so let's get into uh, our text here. I'm starting in verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, now ask the Kohanim concerning the law, saying, all right, so he starts this, so I don't know why they didn't make a new chapter here, because it's a whole new prophecy. He gives the, new, the, the, new, the, the date and the month and, and, uh, and the year, and, um, and then continues on, but nonetheless, they just kept it in the same chapter. And so he says, says the Lord of hosts, concerning, to the Kohanim, concerning the law, the law, the Torah, all right, so the first books of Moses, the five books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. How many have read the Torah? How many have read the first five books of Moses? All right, good. That wasn't a test, but just to, now I just want to know, know that because now you, I know you guys have already read it. So now we're going to, he's going to ask, Haggai is going to ask some people regarding the Torah, some questions. And so now since you've read it, I expect that you'll know the answers to these, to these questions. All right, so here we go. We'll see what Haggai's questions are to them and see, we'll see how we do. Okay, question number one. If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge he touches bread, stew, wine, or oil, or any food, will it become holy? All right, so he's going to the temple with his sacrifice, and he's got this 
uh, this holy meat that's been sanctified, set apart, was slay, was a lamb without blemish, let's say, and, and ready for sacrificing, set aside, sanctified for that purpose. And he's on his way to the temple, or maybe even in the temple, or in the market on the way to the temple, and he's passing by, and he, his, the edge of his garment touches, again, a food item, bread, stew, uh, juice, oil, or any food. Does that food become holy because he's carrying something that is holy? Okay, so that's the question. What's the answer? Our Torah scholars here. Okay, a bunch of no's? No. So it doesn't become holy just because you have something holy? Is that what you're saying? Okay, let's see the answer. The Kohenim said no. All right, very good. We got that right. All right, no. So it doesn't become holy just because you're carrying something holy. It doesn't automatically become holy. All right, so good. One for one. Let's try number two. Question number two. Haggai said, if one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? All right, so the person is unclean because he touched a dead body. Let's say he was burying someone who was dead. Hopefully he was dead before he buried him, right? So he's dead, he's burying him, or whatever. For some reason he had touched a dead animal or something like that. He, he had become ceremonially unclean because of contact with a dead body. And then he happens along, so he's unclean, he happens along and touches some bread or some juice or some oil or some food. Uh, does it become unholy because he was unholy because an hour earlier, whenever he touched something unclean? Okay, what's the answer? Yes? So if it was holy and it touched, it doesn't become holy, but if it's unholy and he touches, it becomes unholy? Yes. Unclean? Right, unclean? You sure? All right, the majority seems sure on that. All right, you say yes? That's okay, all right, let's see. Yes, so this Kohenim answered and said, it will shall be unclean. Two for two. All right, very good, very good, all right. So why is that? Why, if it's holy, it doesn't make everything else holy, but if it's unholy, it makes everything else unholy. Hmm, okay, so what's the application here? So Haggai is going to explain to us. Haggai answered, so is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord, and so is every work of your hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Because it's not so much the meat that's holy, but it's the heart that's holy. That's what has to be. Now, it has to be the right meat as well. I mean, there's still got to be a lamb without blemish that you're sacrificing, and you can sacrifice a pig and expect that God's going to make that holy just because your motive is right, just because you have good desires to God any more than Cain offering his offering to God would have been acceptable because it was the wrong sacrifice and with the wrong motives, right? Uh, so it has to be the right motive, right heart with the right item and their motive here is not right what he's saying he's saying you're unclean thus everything else is unclean as well so even if you're working even if you're building the house of the lord if your attitude is not good then it's still not good because you're unclean and thus everything you're touching becomes unclean even though the temple is holy just because the temple is holy and you're building the temple and it's holy and dedicated to God, doesn't make you holy just because you come there. Or doesn't make you holy just because you come and bring your offering there if your heart is not right before God. 
Yeshua gave a very uh, similar uh, example of that. He said, if you're on your way to the temple with an offering to God, and yet someone has something against you, you may not even have a problem with them, but they have a problem with you, whether right or wrong, for good reason or not good reason, or in imaginary in their mind or whatever, but someone has something that they think they have a reason to be upset with you about, he says, leave your sacrifice there and go and make it right with that person and then come and bring your sacrifice to the Lord. Because it's not just going through a round of ceremonies. God's not interested in ceremonies. God's not interested in, in just as doing for the sake of doing. He wants our motives and our hearts and our characters to be right with him. And that's the whole motive, that's the whole purpose, rather, for the whole temple service and the whole scriptures. It's not about doing right and wrong, although that should be the end result and will be the end result of having a right character and a right heart. But it's not the doing that makes us holy. It's the being holy that brings about holy activity and right activity. And that's an important distinction. And it makes all the difference in the world, like the proverbial cart in front of the horse. Now, maybe we can't picture that because you've never ridden in a horse or a cart, but uh, if you have a horse, the horse is supposed to pull the cart, and if the cart is in front of the horse, the horse is not going to push the cart, right? And so you can't have the cart in front of the horse. So we can be trying and trying and trying and doing good to try and appease God and make him happy and try and earn our way to heaven, and it will never get us there if our hearts are unclean and our hearts are born unclean. And so doing the rituals, the religiosity, the ceremonies will never make us holy, will never make us good. But if we allow God to make us holy, to make us good, then our actions will be right because we will want to do what the Word of God calls us to do. And, and it, someone else can't make us holy. We have the holy sacrifice in our garment and it touches something else, it doesn't make it holy. So you might have a very godly spouse that's not going to necessarily make you godly just by being in contact with that person. Or a godly parent that doesn't automatically make us godly just because our parents were godly. We're just being in the right place. As someone has said, you know, just being in synagogue doesn't make us godly any more than being in McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Right? Eventually it will make you a hamburger, right? but, uh, but not immediately. But it's having the right heart. It's being the right person. And God makes us the right person. It's God who transforms it's God who changes. And it's the same with all other kinds of, and all religions of the world fall into this. All kinds of religions, even non-religions, fall into this pattern of trying to follow some pattern to be something. Whether it's saying Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna a million times, uh, or praying over some beads, as the Muslims will do and the Catholics will do, and say the same thing over and over and over again, will make us any closer to God, 
or even reciting the Lord's Prayer from memory just over and over again will not make us any closer to God than talking to a wall. And the same, we could do the same with, with, with the Shema or with the with, um, cottage, just saying it over and over again without it having any meaning in our lives is empty. I remember one rabbi saying, we were both together, uh, someone that was sick, and, and they said, oh, this person, he believed in the Misha Barak. And I don't remember if I, I said it right, I don't think I did, but I thought in my mind, it, she didn't believe in the Misha Barak, the prayer for the sick. She believes in God. I'm going to get in an argument with him in front of the sick person. Uh, we need to believe in God, not in prayers. Even if they're the most poetic, well-written prayers by anybody ever could have done. Again, even the Lord's Prayer said exactly from Yeshua's mouth. If all it is is someone else's prayer that we're just repeating. If it doesn't become our own. If we're not saying it from the heart, if we're not saying it with meaning. That's why we always have the English on there as well. So as we say these prayers, if we don't know the Hebrew, we can know the meaning of the, of the, of the prayers. So we're going to be praying with understanding as well. So again, all religions, all walks have this works-related activity to come to God. It was the Mayans or whatever, just doing something and giving and appeasing and, and bringing things to, to make this God happy. And that's not what it's about. Again, whether it, we, we think it's God in the weather and God in the trees and our ancestors living in a tree somewhere or something like that and bringing offerings and leaving them there for them to eat or, or to, to turn things around so we have rain or so that we have good weather. Can every religion, so it's inbred in human nature to try and do things to make things different to make it rain, to make it stop raining, to give me prosperity. And again, even secular people will do this. Play the same lottery number over and over again. Make sure they bowl exactly in the same line because that's where they got the strike last time. And so they're going to hit it again and that's going to cause the strike. Or hit that golf ball or punch the same way. Can take the same part, do the same amount of stuff. This, this, this superstition, horoscopes, all these things are based on thinking that there's some kind of algorithm, some kind of calculation, that if we say these prayers enough times, if we do these steps in the right order, and if we uh, say these things over and over again, or do these things over and over again, crawl up certain steps, kiss certain idols, whatever the case, that that is going to bring us good luck, that that's going to bring us favor, that's, that's going to bring us prosperity, that that's going to make us holy by touching something holy, going to some holy place, going to some statue, going to some building, doing some activity that's going to bring about the desired results of, again, either a strike or a hole-in-one or, or heaven. And that's not, or healing. And that's not how it works. And that's what he's saying here. The holy garment is not going to make everything, the holy meat is not going to make everything else it touches holy. But if we are unholy, if our heart is unholy, 
And we have sin in our heart if we're holding on to anger or bitterness or wrath against someone or we're jealous or selfish or our motive for heaven is so that we get to heaven so that we can have it easy for eternity, so that we can finally live the good life and walk on streets of gold. It's all for self. If our motives are wrong, then everything we touch becomes unclean. Everything we do becomes unclean and unholy. And so it's not finding the right formula, the right prayer, the right activities, the right laws that makes us right. It's having the right heart. And we're born with the wrong heart, all of us. Again, we're all in the same boat with this. No matter what society, no matter what age it is, all the way back to Cain, I already mentioned, and anywhere on this planet, anything they've ever dug up, any civilization they've ever found, all falls into this category. So that's how we are. And thus we all need a change of heart to come out to God truly. And it starts by accepting what God has done for us. Verse 15, now carefully consider from this day forward, from before stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord, before you started building, since those days when one came to a heap of 20 ifas, and there were but 10, when one came to the wine vat to draw out 50 baths from the press, there were but 20. I struck you with blight and mildew and hail in all the labors of your hands, yet you did not turn to me says the Lord. So you were wanting to labor even before you started laboring. It wasn't the prosperity you had expected from this. You had left Babylon. You'd come here. You gave. You just tried. But as we read in chapter 1, it was like your purses had holes in them. Every attempt turned out bad. We weren't prospering. We weren't gaining. We weren't moving forward. And so here we thought we had 20 ethics of grain, and then we go there, and now there's only 10. So we had 50 baths of, of, of juice, and we go there, and there's only 20. Where did it all go? Just leaking out, just disappearing. We're not getting that prosperity that we wanted. And while that should have woken us up to say we're doing something wrong, our hearts are not right, we need to turn to God, instead we didn't. We didn't turn to the Lord. And sometimes calamities will help wake us up and bring us to the Lord. But sometimes it makes us just more bitter. And then sometimes we blame God for all our problems. We get angry and distance ourselves even more. Or think, well, when things start getting right, when things start getting better, when I start prospering, When I start finding favor, then I will start doing, then I will serve the Lord. When I get that job, when I get that spouse, when I get that child, when I get that happiness feeling inside, when I'm feeling better, then I'll come to the Lord. You know, the best time to come to services is when we're miserable. And I don't mean sick, you know, you're throwing up or, or, or coughing on people, but I mean when we're feeling down, that's the time to come to the Lord. 
because hearing the word of God is what lifts us up. And they were having hard times, and instead of them drawing to the Lord, they didn't draw to the Lord. They didn't turn to him. And that's when we need to turn to him more than ever when we're going through hard times. And hopefully a message from the word of God or a song or something someone might say will lift us up, will encourage us. We're in a prayer time, praying. God will speak to our minds and hearts. We'll be lifted up before him. And he'll lift us out of the depression, out of the sadness, out of the gloom, out of the darkness, and focus our mind back on heaven and back on the Lord. And then Haggai continues in verse 18, Consider now from this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree have not yielded fruit. From, but from this day I will bless you. <coughs> Promising the blessing. Not because of doing stuff, but because of God's blessing upon us. God's promise from this day forward. Because in chapter 1 they turned from their wicked way. And they surrendered. And so here in chapter 2 he's reviewing that. They turn to God, and I will bless you. I will make you a blessing. There's still hope. There's still buds on the fig tree and on the pomegranate tree and the olive tree. It hasn't yielded yet. It's still ready to come, and I am going to bless you. It's still coming for you. You're still going to receive of it. And there's still some in the barn. You're still going to get that because God is promising his blessings upon us because he loves us. And that's why we get blessings. Not for good deeds that we do, but because of his great love for us. While we were yet sinners, he first loved us. He came after Adam and Eve while we were running and hiding behind a tree, behind a bush. He comes looking for us. Then sit there waiting and saying, when you are ready and you come to me, I'm here. No, he comes after us. He comes seeking us out. He left heaven to come and to seek and to save that which is lost. He's continually seeking us out. That's why he allowed the, the, uh, the calamities that took place, the not enough and seemed to be disappearing, whether it was rats or wherever it was going. It was not there what they thought was there was leaking out all over the place because God was trying to get their attention and God is continually trying to get our attention to draw us to him he's continually reaching out both with blessings and calamities whatever it takes whatever will work and sometimes the blessings don't draw us to him either sometimes the prosperity makes us get busy and happy and wasting it away in activities and trying to get more and trying to multiply more and finding people to spend it on or to share it with but he'll try all different kinds of ways to get our attention and he's wanting to use us and to help get other people's attention as well and so it's because he first seeks us out 
And so he promises this blessing upon them. And after he promises this blessing, the chapter only has a few more verses, and then Haggai's ministry, as far as a written word, ends. Why? Why is he such a short prophet? Why does he only get two chapters, only a few verses? Because God sends his prophets when we're in disobedience to awaken us and to draw us to him. That's when he sends the prophet. When the prophet's done his work and we repent and we yield and we surrender to God, his work is done. He doesn't have to say much more. Right? The police only show up when there's a problem. God only sends the fire engines only come when there's a fire. Right? So the, police, the prophet only has to come when there's a problem. And when the problem's been averted because of repentance and turning to God, then the Bible's quiet and there's no prophet. Not much has to be written. And so Haggai's need and his writings then come to a close and we got back to work in building the temple of the Lord with right motives, with right hearts, with right desires, with the power from God, inspired on by God, because God promised his blessings upon us. God seeks us out. God has provided for us. He's provided for each one of us. How did he manifest love to us while we were yet sinners? When did Yeshua die for us? Before or after we repented? Before or after we confessed? Before or after we turned to him? Before. Before we were ever born, before the foundation of this world, in Yeshua's mind, in God's mind, in God's plan, he was sacrificed for us. He first did for us. He first provided the forgiveness. He first provided his grace. He first provided his mercy towards us. He first paid our salvation for us. And if the salvation has been paid, it's been paid for all. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. The sacrifice is complete for everyone. And thus everyone has been given salvation. And when do we receive it? When do we benefit from it? When do we get that gift of salvation? When we accept it, right? By faith, through confession, and acceptance, accepting what he has already done for us. Because he is holy, he makes us holy. And then we can minister holy unto him. It's his work in our hearts and lives, not our outward acts. The outward acts come as a result of that just as someone who loves someone else, will do things to try and please that person because they like that person, because they love that person. It's not having robots. Right? You can have a child, you can be a perfect child, do everything exactly right, not give you any trouble at all. But it doesn't manifest any love, never shows any affection. All the ex all the actions don't mean anything, do they? Same with a spouse. All they are is a hired cook or a hired maintenance person without any love. 
Might as well just have a wind-up toy. Right? You can record yourself on a recorder or something like that and say, I love you, 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 right? And you won't feel loved. Right? It's not just a recording. It's not just the same thing over and over again. Right? What kind of relationship would you have with anyone? A friend, spouse, child, parent? If every time you talk to them, they said exactly the ten words, same words. Every time. Right? It wouldn't be very much of a conversation, would it? Get bored with it after a while. Even if it's, I love you. Even if it's, oh, you're terrific. It's the same exact things every time. There's no meaning to it. And the same with our experience with God. Our prayers to him to need to be real. Praying to a real God. A real being who's listening. Who hears. Who's waiting. Who's anxious. To hear our voice. And we'll listen attentively. And we'll do all in his power to fulfill the request because he loves us. That's the kind of prayers. Otherwise, it's just praying to a wall. Personal prayers to a personal being. Prayers from the heart. Words like two words to a friend. Shouldn't have any hard time praying. Like talking to a friend. If we talk, then we can pray. Share with him our thoughts, our desires, our joys, our sadness. Experience him. Enter into communion with him. To oneness with him. Knowing him. And that's what the Bible says. That we should know him. The same word that described that Adam knew Eve. An intimate relationship together. God wants us to know him. Personally, come close to him. Draw close to him. Our prayers should be, again, personal. Our personal words, our personal thoughts to a personal God. While he's ruler over the entire universe, and listens to prayers all around this world and to all his other created beings, he sets aside time to listen to us and only us. And that might be a little hard for us to fathom, but really if we can have a little thing on our desk and we say whatever you say to the thing and it gives you an answer or turns something on, and it's doing that for people all over the world, how much more, and that's still just a recorded thing, how much more can God hear all our prayers at one time and give each of us a personal answer, hear and respond to each of us personally and individually? Verse 20, again the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the ninth month, saying, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horse and the rider shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. So he promises, I will bless you. And if you need God's blessing, 
claim God's blessing. Claim that last verse we read. God, you promised to bless me from this day forward. I claim your blessings. Or if you're dealing with some enemy and some kingdom is against you or some neighbor or some being or some person, flesh and blood or evil angel or mechanical problem or something is working against you, claim God's victory. I will shake heaven and earth if it, that's what it takes to work in your defense. God is promising he is our defense. He is our shield and our buckler. He is our rear guard and he goes before us. We have nothing to fear. He's on our side and he's a mighty warrior and he will fight our battles for us. So whether it's the people of the land harassing you, the neighbors, the homeowners association, the county, the city, someone harassing you, surrender it to the Lord, give it over to him. He is mighty. He will destroy all the strength of all the kingdoms of this world. They'll all come crumbling down at the name of the Lord our God. Claim his promises, claim his power, claim his authority, and watch him work. Sometimes it takes 400 years, but eventually he comes through and he parts the Red Sea and he lets us out. He will set us out. He will set us free. He will work mightily in your behalf. He will strengthen you and he will overthrow horses and chariots and whatever it takes. Whatever the enemy is, and it's not flesh and blood, although it might be coming for, through some flesh and blood. Whatever evil angels, Satan, whatever Satan is using to come against you. Let God deal with the root problem. And if some person's allowing themselves to be used, let God deal with them. Trust in the Lord. He is our defense. Now, at the same time we're praying and trusting in him, you might need to get a lawyer, you may need to call the police, you may need to call a plumber, whatever it takes, or a doctor or something. But at the same time, our trust, not really at the same time, preview, our start, we start with trusting in the Lord. And then continue trusting in the Lord through the process of seeking if God's wanting to use some human help as well. Or not, he doesn't need to, but if he chooses to. And we start with seeking the Lord because he is the one who will fight for us. And then everyone will die by the sword of his brother. They end up fighting against each other. And we've seen that in the Bible. We've seen that in our own lives. And then our enemies that are attacking us, all of a sudden they start attacking each other and they leave you alone. God will fight in our behalf. He will bless you. Claim his blessings. He will listen to your prayers. He wants to hear from you. He doesn't want just rote ceremony and rote actions. He wants your heart. If you're ready to surrender your heart to God, and do so even before we continue on with any other verses, surrender to the Lord and enter into a personal experience with a personal living God. And much more so than just a relationship. I'm trying to avoid the word of having a relationship with God. But you want more than a relationship. Because God is more than a relationship. Right, if I was to try and give you an example of a relationship, you tell me which one of these relationships fits best the type of relationship God is wanting you to have with, with, uh, with him. So let's say, an example, I have a, a friend. Uh, I see him... We've moved apart, and so we see every so often, sometimes talk on the phone, emails, every once in a while. Uh, but we're still close friends, and anytime we do see each other, boy, we're just like friends all over again, just like no time has passed. Right? So we've got that friendship, that relationship. Right? 
I have my relationship with my mom, see her several times a week, emails and phone calls and stuff like that. Uh, not every day, but several times through the week. And then my relationship with my wife, fortunately I'm home basically every night, see her all the time. Uh, we work together almost all the time. We used to work together all the time. We used to work together the whole work shift and, um, and then, of course, lived in the same house and slept in the same room. And so we were together really 24-7 at that time in our lives. Which one of those relationships would you say, number three, door number three? You agree? Yeah. Wrong. Not two or one either. <laughs> but number four. None of those. Because even that relationship with my wife, she can't do anything to my heart. She can't change me. She can nag me, and she can try and change me all she wants from the outside, but God wants to come inside. And he changes us from the inside. And he motivates us and empowers us to live new lives. So as we allow him to come in and invite him to come in, and, and, and the evil has to be removed, the sin has to be removed, the selfishness and the pride and the works has to be removed. And so we surrender it to him and we accept, and he only can do that. Barbara can't, can't take off the unclean heart. She can't change me from within. But God can take out the wrong motives. God can take out the sinful behavior. God can take away the past wrongs. God can remove the guilt and set me free from the habits and the evil desires. And he puts it in himself and it kills him. And Yeshua dies for me. And then he's alive and he fills me with his Holy Spirit from the inside, giving me right motives and right power. The power of God to then do what is right. And so you really can't describe that in a relationship. It's beyond anything we can experience here. Maybe a pregnant mother might be the closest thing we can think of here because the baby is inside and it does change the mother in lots of different ways. <laughs> Shape changes, hormones change, attitude change, diet change, lots of things change. Sleep patterns change, temperament changes, <laughs> but only temporarily. <laughs> And everything goes back to normal. And so God wants to come in and transform us. And that's what makes the difference. Not the religious ceremonies. So if you need that experience with God, even before we go on, let him do his work in you and out of you. And to transform you and change you. And in that day, verse 23, in that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, says the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord of all the heavenly armies has chosen you, Zerubbabel. This is what it means to be chosen. This is what it means to be the chosen people. That God has chosen us. And just as he has chosen Zerubbabel, he has chosen each one of us. He has chosen us for a purpose, for the time we live in, for the 
influence where you are at and where you are, what God has chosen you to do is different than what he's chosen Zerubbabel to do, different than what he's chosen me to do or someone else to do, but he has chosen you for his purpose, to make his diamond, to purify you. And that's a high calling. God loves Zerubbabel. And in loving Zerubbabel, he made him like a signet. Now to get that way, to get a diamond, you got to pressurize the coal. Starts as a black junk. And when it's under intense pressure, it becomes diamond. And so it's through the pressures, through the hard times, and it wasn't easy for Zerubbabel, but God in his great love for us, he sees value in your black heart. He sees value in our coal-filled minds. And he brings us through the pressure chamber. He brings us through the problems. He brings us through the troubles to turn us into diamonds. And even then, the work is not done. Even then, a diamond has to be chiseled and polished and shaped and made under a keen eye and a skillful hand with sharp tools, diamond against diamond, to cut, to cut away the dross and to cut away the dirt and to cut away the rocks and to polish it and shape it sand it until the worker looks into the diamond and sees the light reflected off of it and can see his own or her own reflection in it. And that's what God wants to do in us. He wants to reflect his light off of us. He wants to reflect his light, his face off of us. So when he looks at us, he sees himself. When others look at us, they, we, they see him in us. He has chosen us for a great purpose, to shine his light and his character and his presence into the hearts and minds of people in this world. And to get there, it takes trials, tribulations, problems, blessings, joys, Hope, faith, surrender, God working in our hearts and minds. So because God counts you as valuable, in a moment when we pray, if you want to accept that high calling that he has chosen you for, and when we pray, say, God, hold me up. Make me your diamond. Make me your shining, bright jewel in your crown and use me for your honor and glory. And whatever it takes, whatever chiseling, whatever has to be removed, I give you permission. Do your mighty work in me and let your light shine off of me. And if that's your desire in a moment when we pray, let God do that work. Secondly, if... You've been going through some struggles, some difficulties, some problem, and you need God to be your defense right now. 
in what you're going through. Need God to help you, give you guidance, give you direction, lead you to some help or do some miraculous thing in your life, whether with your health or with your finances or with social situations, some relationship, something in your life, something at work, something at school, something you're going through. If you need God to fight for you against the enemies, to deliver you, then in a moment when we pray, let God do his work. Third, if you want to claim God's prayer and promise that he has promised to bless you, that the fruit is still in the fig tree and still in the pomegranate tree and still in the, in the vine there for you, and you want to claim it, then in the moment when we pray, say, God, I claim your blessings. You promised me. You promised to bless me. You promised to help me. I need your blessings. Or, if you haven't been praying to the Lord, you've been praying maybe, reading some prayers, saying some words, but it's the same thing over and over again. And you want to enter into a personal experience with a personal God. And when we pray, ask God to give you his heart, to give you his mind, give you his prayers to draw him to for him to reveal himself to you and so if that applies to you or if you've been just going through some ceremonies maybe at one time you had a personal experience with God but it's become ceremony now you're still just doing the same thing because you've gotten in the pattern you know it's the right thing and it's still the right thing so right actions, but now it's become wrong motives. You've lost the right motives. You've lost your love for God. You've lost that first love experience. You still want heaven, and you still know what's right and wrong, but you're no longer a cheerful giver. You're just doing it because you've been doing it, and you know you're supposed to do it. Giving of your time or finances or anything. And you want God to give you the joy of the Lord again, the right motives and the right heart, to accompany the right action. In a moment when we pray, let God do that in your heart and mind. To give you those right heart to the right God in the right way. And the balance of both. The right motives with the right action. So many people are not concerned with the motives, just the action. Just do the right, these things in this order and you'll make it to heaven. Others think, well, as long as you've got the right motive, it doesn't really matter what you do. God knows my heart, and so even though I'm disobeying God's law all over the place, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm a good person, and God loves me, and I love him, and that's all that matters. No, it needs to be the right motive and the right action, but it's the right motive with the right heart that God gives to us that brings about the right action, not the other way around. And so if you need that order switched out in your life for God to give you his heart, give you his mind, to give you his motivation and his power to do the right thing. In a moment when we pray, let him do that. It's his work. Let him work in you. So if any of those areas apply to you or maybe something else God has been speaking to your heart and mind about, maybe from a song we've already sung or maybe God's just been impressing your heart with something totally different, that's fine. Let him do his work. Let us pray together. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your name and we thank you, Lord, that you are a mighty God. 
We are thankful, Lord, for your work in this earth. Thank you for first loving us. Thank you for drawing us with your love. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for waking us up. Thank you for bringing us to you through calamities or blessings. Thank you for your promise to bless us and defend us and to prosper us. Thank you for calling us and choosing us. Thank you for seeing value in us. Transform us and change us. Make us into your diamonds. Give us a prayer to you and a love for you and a conversation with you on a daily basis, moment by moment. Open our eyes that we would see your face, a true living God. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.